Nope. Uh-uh. Nope. <laughs> nope. Mm-mm. 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 Nope. Nope. <laughs> I have to say for this movie, the marketing got us good. Don't yes. You, don't you think? Yes. I'm glad you brought that up because I was got. It yeah. got me. It got both of us. We were surmising for a long time what the heck this movie would be about and what would happen long time what are we talking about today g-g-g-gabe today we're talking about nope the new jordan peele film with select scenes shot on imax it is playing in imax and we saw it in imax called nope 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 yep this summer's blockbuster i don't think there's really anything else well we had thor (laughs) (laughs) There have, been, there have been a few uh, swings and a miss, swings and misses. Swings and misses. Thor swings and misses. <laughs> <laughs> that was mean. I'm sorry, Taika. Too soon or not soon enough? Mm. Hello. Time will tell. If you're here now, then you've been with us. Here we go. But yeah. Yeah, so I should start by saying, because there hasn't been much to look forward to in way of a larger budget filmmaking... This was one of the movies, I think alongside Elvis, that I was most excited for this summer in particular. So I was really stoked going into this for a number of reasons. Uh, A, because even though I haven't loved the last couple Jordan Peele films, I always I feel like I can recognize his genius. And I was really excited to see what he's going to do with this movie, which deals with B, uh, aliens and UFOs. I have a UFO tattooed on my arm and I love alien stuff. You show me again? Show you. Oh yeah. (laughs) And Gabe, uh, doesn't believe in aliens. I didn't say that. Maybe he doesn't. It's not black and white. It's not like I'm either with you or I'm against you. I I don't believe in the little green men. <laughs> With the large heads and the big eyes, I obviously, I mean, we found life. <laughs> we have found life on other planets. It's microbial, you could say. Um, but, I mean, to the extent that we could even begin to guess at those things and to project our own, like, human way of thinking onto those things, it seems a little crazy to me. Like, for instance, if aliens exist, it's probably some real crazy cosmic shit. You know, it's something that we couldn't even, I think, begin to process in our limited cognition as human beings. Now I sound like the nerd. Okay, back to you, Stephen. <laughs> no, I like hearing you talk about it because I have spent uh, numerous minutes trying to convince you of things that you don't believe. I, listen, I want to believe. You got to convince <laughs> me. He's like Mulder, And everybody. all the shit I've seen, like all the grainy footage of uh, like a chromatic aberration in the sky of some CCTV shot, it's not convincing enough for me to get on the bandwagon of it's fine. the no, flying saucer. You, yeah, you hate extraterrestrials. I fine. love- It's fine. Aliens it's fine. stimulate me. Speaking- Wow. <laughs> Via probing. No. What we're really here to talk to you today about is probing. Stick it. Where, where it the counts. Don't <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of extraterrestrials, 
E.T.'s coming back in IMAX. Yeah. You've already mentioned that once in this podcast, but I think I think I we're both excited. I'm really excited, but I'm a huge E.T. fan. I'm excited. Having just seen it, I think, a year or two ago for the first time, I'm pretty excited. I'm excited to see anything on IMAX, but yeah. something like E.T., I wonder if it's ever been played in IMAX, first of all. I don't... Not to my recollection. Maybe this once. The 40th anniversary, right? Yeah. That's I'm so exciting. pumped. I saw... I cry every time I see the trailer in the theater. When Close Encounters had its 40th anniversary a few years ago, I saw it, but I don't remember if it was in IMAX. Right. But that was pretty special. And I I still have to make my way through Spielberg's backlog of like his early films, but... You should. That's why we're here. Yeah. That's why we're here with this film... Spielberg has inspired so many filmmakers today, Mm -hmm. including, speaking of trailers, the other trailer that we saw with this movie, Oppenheimer. Oh, yeah. What did you think of the Oppenheimer trailer for the new Nolan film? It was... Based on Oppenheimer. Definitely a teaser, not a trailer. (laughs) We got like a couple shots and then some cool David Lynch The Return uh, episode eight uh, animations. Yeah. Uh, But I'm excited. You know, and to see it attached to, onto, like it was post-IMAX intro, it was like right before right. Nope was pretty cool. I know. It, we didn't know if Nope was starting or if we were seeing the Oppenheimer trailer. Do you think the whole movie is going to be in black and white? That's a great question. I've seen some people speculate that it could be in black and white until the bomb Ooh. drops, and then it could shift into color just to signify the change, like the effect it had on the world. And because the other fiery shots we saw were in color, so yeah. that would be really cool, I think. I and feel like black and white is such a choice, though, you know? For, it's the for, only thing Nolan an, hasn't done. For an IMAX Nolan film? I know, right? That's kind of what I was thinking. I was like, well, he hasn't done it yet, so maybe he'll try it here. Yeah, but I'm excited. I think Killian Murphy, Cillian, Killian Murphy's Cylon. Gonna, Killian's going to kill it. Cylons. And the rest of the cast is bussing, you could say. Very supporting. It's huge. It's they're, massive. They're very supportive. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. This movie's gonna be it's gonna be crazy. Yeah, let's so let's talk about crazy. We're talking about nope. Jordan Peele. What is it? If you don't know Jordan Peele. Uh, Stop what you're doing. He was an actor, sort of came up with comedy yeah. in the show called Key and Peel. We've never talked about this in the podcast so far, but yeah, Key and Peel. Iconic sketch duo. Yeah, really funny stuff. Some stuff we still quote almost weekly to each other. You said that, though. Yeah. Did you say <laughs> that, though? I said, boo. <laughs> I said, uh, so, okay. Um, uh, then after that. He has done some other stuff with his acting career. And then he started to direct. He came out directing this movie called Get Out, uh, which was critically acclaimed, especially for the social... Stay woke. The justice, social justice themes. Yeah. It was, um, I think, a massive success. Yeah. Not Dr- just critically. A lot of people loved it just for the story that it was telling. But his film, Get Out, clearly had a message to people that know for the people that know. It was about racism. Yeah. <laughs> Let's put a button on that. And then a couple years later, he put out a movie called Us. I think that came out in 2019. Yeah. And now here we are. I always forget that 
it came out early in that year after everything else that came out that year. Yeah. And us dealt with class struggle. Yeah. Classist notions, ideas. And it was not quite as a smash success as Get Out, although I loved it dearly. Yeah. Despite its flaws. There's still this like underlying genius that Jordan Peele has as a filmmaker that is just so gripping to watch. Even if the movie and the story you're watching isn't great, he's just such a good filmmaker. Everything, every decision he makes from uh, the writing and the way he directs his actors and the way he positions the camera, the way that it's edited, the sound. The he's tone. Just, everything that you could think when it comes <laughs> to filmmaking, he's at the top of that game. And so I was really excited to see this film, Nope. And yeah. I'm happy to say that I think it's my personal favorite out of the three films he's done so far. I would agree. Nope. Yep. Why don't you talk about (laughs) what happens in the film? What happens in Nope? I don't even remember where they set the story. It's got to be... In Desert Town, USA. It's somewhere probably in New Mexico or Arizona. No, it's in the hills of Hollywood. Oh, it's in the Hollywood Hills? Yeah. Oh, like yeah. like out there? That makes sense. Yeah. Out, but it's out in like the desert area. Yeah. Uh, the Agua Dolce Canyon. I don't know if that's an actual canyon, but that's where the Haywood Ranch is set. So there's a family out there that trains horses, and they claim to have been descendants of the jockey from the very first instance of motion picture, uh, which was, I think it was the Muy Bridge... Is that his name? Clip from uh, the early 20th century of the the guy riding a horse. And I don't know how much of that is accurate either, whether or not it was actually a black dude or if it was just the way the camera shot it. Whatever it was, Jordan Peele turns it into his mythology. And that's where we get the Haywood Ranch and this family of three. Keith David is the father, the patriarch of this little clan. And then we have uh, Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer, who play brother and sister, and they kind of take up the mantle after Keith David dies in the very beginning of the movie. <laughs> yep. By some unexplained phenomena, some aerial phenomena. A nickel. A nickel comes launching out of the sky, amongst other um, trash, uh, like keys and loose change, that pocket stuff. Nickel for your thoughts? Yeah. Nickel in your brain? So that happens, and then we jump six months into the future... Strange things have persisted in this area of California. They're horse farmers. Yeah, they're horse wranglers, and they established pretty quick that there is a UFO in the area. Like, at the end of the first act, Daniel Kaluuya, there's no, like, (laughs) speculation. He sees a UFO, Uh and so they go about trying to, for the rest of the film, they try to capture this thing on film so that they have proof, because Kiki Palmer is like, we could make a lot of money potentially off this. And they're in some dire straits financially because of the void that was left after Keith David died. Yep. The main character, Daniel Kaluuya, has sold almost all of their horses to uh, Stephen Yoon. Yeah. So we'll talk about Stephen Yoon for a sec. He is a former child actor turned entrepreneur who has started this little, tiny little theme park in the desert. Where in the last six months, he has this show where he will... What comes to the reveal is that he's, like, sending horses out into the canyon to be swallowed up, uh, taken up by the UFO. 
and that's his show. And so throughout the movie, we're cutting back to Stephen Ewan's childhood, which is on a short-lived 90s sitcom called Zagordy's Home or something. And they have this chimpanzee on the show that in one episode in the second season snaps and attacks the crew. It's a bloody affair. We see that through Stephen Ewan's eyes as a child. He's hiding underneath a table watching the chimp go berserk. And that's like a formative moment both in Stephen Ewan's life as his character in this movie, but also what it represents for the context of the story and the UFO later on. That's where we start the discussion on like the treatment of wild animals and stuff, uh, because that's important. Because what we come to learn halfway through this movie, Daniel Kaluuya tells us that he speculates that this UFO is not a ship, or UAP, that it's not a ship. It is, in fact, an animal. Or it's like a, it's an entity in and of itself, right? And it is just out here feeding, hanging out, living life as a cosmic creature. And so they're going to use that information to try to capture it on film because with an animal versus a ship, there are uh, certain rules and patterns you can you know, follow. And as they say, you can enter into an agreement with it. But you can't tame it, but you can, like, you can try to find ways to, uh, to handle it. So I would say the second act ends with like, this thing ends up swallowing up Stephen Ewan and his entire theme park. Stephen Ewan is enraptured with the rest of his theme park by this alien because... He's created a spectacle out of it. Yeah. He's been doing it sort of seamlessly for six months. Mm-hmm. That comes to a grinding halt because it seems like the instigation for this was that the UFO swallowed up... Some uh, plastic. Yeah, some plastic. The fake horse that was tangled up in flags. All of a sudden, it's crimes of the future. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Haywood Ranch put out the decoy to try to get a read on what was going on, and that seems to have upset the UFO. Oh, no. Which then, in a horrific scene, wonderfully portrayed, viscerally portrayed, it swallows up this whole crowd of people, including Stephen Ewan and his family. That's where you kind of see the interior of this entity, and it's basically digesting them. And that's where we get the cool screaming. You also come to realize that you've seen it before. Yeah. In the opening credits. Yeah, the opening credits are from within the entity. Just another little tidbit to... Jordan Peele's genius, but yeah, so... It's this weird, like, like, uh, bio-organic thing. Cloth? Yeah, it's it's like, it's like fabric-y. Yeah, fabric, kite. It reminded me of a kite, the little four drapes, like the drapes. Oh, yeah, on the inside. of like, yeah, kind of like a kite. Yeah, it is kite-like. So anyway, you you were saying the screaming, the sound design, like... Yeah, we've been hearing, like, the the UFO doesn't make a lot of sound, uh, there, there are small instances where it makes these uh, cracks and croaks and bops. Um, like it does that more and more throughout the film to give you the like the sense that it is a creature, and it's incredible sound design. But it also makes this terrifying screaming noise as it flies through the sky, and that at that point you realize that it's all the people inside being slowly digested over time, and it's fantastic, and I love it. Or horses. Yeah, or horses, up until the point where it swallows all the people from the theme park. And so then it just goes back to Haywood Ranch to sort of digest its food. And uh, in an incredible scene in IMAX, it, it like sits over the Haywood house with Kiki Palmer and another character, Angel, in there, who's like their techie sidekick for the time being. Mm-hmm. It like compresses everything in its belly and then starts raining blood and debris on the Haywood house. <laughs> very iconic, <laughs> iconic moment. Yeah. I think in cinema history, 
that will be something that will be known for a long time you know yeah they cut the to bl- a wide the blood running down the windows and the red stained like white yeah house you know and it's an amazing scene uh too because it's like raining outside and so when the ufo is it like moves to be directly positioned over the house it stops raining under that space like an umbrella yeah and then rains blood (laughs) yeah and then it rains blood and then it moves because uh daniel kalia is coming back up to the house and it moves to be over him and it just sits there for a moment like croaking and then drops the plastic horse onto his car It's so hard to accurately describe how much of a sensational, like being in the theater for these scenes, it's amazing because of the sound design and the raw visual spectacle of it. Uh, Anyway, plot moving forward. We move into what I think of as the third act, and this is where the characters come up with a plan. They recruit local legend cinematographer Antlers Holst, who's played by Wincott, with his incredible voice. Yep. Talks like this. Yeah, very Sam Elliott. He finally comes on board because of how obvious like the, the news is starting to pick up, like, oh, there's crazy stuff happening. So he's like, oh, this must be what they tried to recruit me for earlier in the film. Mm-hmm. He joins our party to capture this thing on film. They come up with this great plan. What was he up to before he shows up to the... He's just been hanging out, watching old film reels of like of black what? and white cinema of predators and prey. Just exotic beasts was wrangling. Was it all predators and prey? Yes, yeah. it was. Yeah, it was. It's Every time we see this character... It cuts to him on a chem machine. Yeah. That's what that's called. We have one where we work. Mm-hmm. We put film on it. You can scrub forward, backward, but all he's watching is just tons and tons of footage of animals eating other animals. It's like snakes and crabs and squids and all this wild, (laughs) these animals and reptiles. It's such a good piece of subtext to throw into this part of the film where like you just think, oh, he's working on some documentary, but like it's such a good meta commentary into what yeah is actually happening in the movie we're watching yeah no no scene is really wasted in this movie nope. jordan peele uses everything in service to his uh either symbolism or metaphor and yep so anyway he shows up to the house yeah they come up with the plan to get this thing on film they eventually do after some difficulty because there's like a biker who tries to roll up he's not he's really... filming on imax by the way which is wild is it imax it's an imax camera yeah it is film and it's he has this Cool. He has like two rigs. One is the grounded larger rig, and then he has... That's the IMAX camera. Yeah, he has that, and then he has this smaller handheld camera, a wind-up that yeah. doesn't use electricity. No, yeah, I think it was more like 16 millimeter. Probably. The IMAX was bigger. That's They had to do the change, the quick change. Yeah. In the tarp. Uh-huh. That's what we have to do. Anyway, they bait the UFO entity into coming out of the upper atmosphere by like tricking it with some... Like Daniel Kluya and Lucky the horse are bait, and so they get the alien to come down. Mm-hmm. Alien swallows up this random biker who rolls in, like some paparazzi dude trying to get footage of whatever 
because word is starting to spread of these supernatural events happening in the canyon. He's from uh, entertainment. Kiki Palmer says TMZ. TMZ. But he never says that. Yeah. Uh, she's just like making a point that he's like paparazzi. Yeah. Uh, he gets. He's actually a fascinating character, and again, is one of those things that are like very important considering the themes of the movie. Mm-hmm. All he cares about is getting the shot. Yeah, but he gets swallowed up, and Daniel Kaluuya using more flags and they have this whole elaborate setup with sky dancers those inflatable wacky tube men he like baits the ufo into following him and then he releases this parachute flag line and it gets the ufo to like roll on its side so they get this amazing shot of this alien just just, like hovering down there on its side and then flying back up right everything seems to have worked according to plan and then i think what throws a wrench into it is michael wincott's character the cinematographer antlers holst like as Angel said, he says something cryptic. Yeah. <laughs> and I, this is one of the more bizarre points, but it's I think it's pretty important both for the character and for the movie, like why he does this. He says something like, we don't deserve the impossible. And he takes his smaller handheld rig and he goes, walks up into the hills to get the perfect impossible shot. <laughs> it seems to know what he's doing. The He gets up on the hill and then the UFO comes down right in front of him and swallows him up. And he's just recording the whole time, (laughs) winding this camera. And then things start to go to hell. And the UFO then swallows him up, starts to go after Angel, and then almost swallows him up, and then goes after Kiki and almost swallows her up. Oh, yeah. They start running around the ranch to, to like, salvage the situation. We should say, too, really quick for people that haven't seen it, the way it swallows them is sort of like you would imagine like someone being beamed up to a UFO. Yeah. It almost like creates like a cyclone or like a miniature cyclone tornado that sucks it up almost like with like a, like a vortex. Yeah. So it's not so much like a, like being beamed up or like being eaten with a mouth. Uh It's like, it's like a miniature little tornado thing. It's like a targeted vacuum. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it's very localized and it's pretty bizarre. A lot of the mechanics of the alien are not explained. And I think that's fine. Like, for instance, how it can tell you're looking at it. It also seems a lot more, I don't know, like organic than you would imagine. Yeah. Like to the point where the physics of it, like, makes sense while you're watching it, you know? Yeah. And it's like kind of creepy in that way. Uh-huh. It makes just enough sense that <laughs> you shouldn't be asking yourself about it in the theater because yeah, exactly. there's more important things happening. But it's, it is wild to think back on it. Again, it's not Cle- something... Clearly, though, a lot of, like... intelligent thought and work went into the creation of it so that should be noted yeah and it's pretty creative on its own right too it even gets more creative right here yeah oh yep so that everyone's running around trying to not get (laughs) swallowed up by the alien which is still kind of a disc yeah it's very jaws right now because um going from cloud to cloud Peel said Jaws and Close Encounters were two of his biggest inspirations for this. And this is where all that Jaws stuff makes sense, because the UFO is essentially a shark, but instead of the ocean, it's in the sky, darting from cloud to cloud. Yeah, so everything has gone to shit, and Daniel Kaluuya is going to make this hero play where he run, he rides Lucky off like in the opposite direction to try to bait the alien. Because at this moment, the alien's been swallowing up some like debris, and it's pretty pissed off. And it changes shape. It transforms into not a flying saucer, but this giant that I come to call the cosmic jellyfish Mm -hmm. because of the shape it takes and also like the way you see it at the very end. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's this giant flowy parachute-like, it's like a a giant ship sail, but it's very uh, 
organic and, and bizarre. Something I did not expect to see. And they, they don't reveal any of that in the trailer, as far mm-hmm. as I can remember. It's like a huge unfolded kite that's like attached to itself at a lot of different points. So there's a lot of like little extremities. Yeah, it's this like, articulately designed thing, but it is it is like... Um, intricately? It, yeah, that's the word. It is an intricately designed thing, but it's, it's just... The impression you get is that it's just like some creature from outer space that's here now. Mm-hmm. And because, it reminded you a lot of, you were saying like Evangelion. Oh yeah, thanks for reminding me. Yeah, it it was the, the closest I've ever got to feeling like I was seeing Evangelion in IMAX. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks like one of the latter angels from that anime. Yeah, the, like the one the ones that are just increasingly more and more bizarre, <laughs> obscure. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Kaluya or OJ, we'll just call him OJ from now on because that's his name. He <laughs> he's gonna run off to try to save the rest of the crew, but he has this emotional moment looking across the field at Kiki Palmer's character M, and because like she cares about him and she doesn't want him to you know do this kamikaze thing and. She's trying to get on the biker's electric motorcycle to run off in the other direction. And so there's this great emotional two-minute scene where they're, like, looking back at each other. And they keep baiting the monster to look at them. And so you have, like, Kiki Palmer and Daniel Kaluuya, like, sitting on this field maybe, like, 100 yards apart. And then this giant cosmic jellyfish there. That I, It works perfectly if you think about it like a tiger or some other wild animal in the scene. And it's just looking between the two. And the way it does that is really cool. Its eye, its central like component, is this like camera-looking thing. It's like a cube. Yeah, it's this cube that that f- like moves seamlessly through the the like the center the, fabric. The middle of the yeah, the middle of the this jellyfish. creature, and it it just moves and it keeps like looking back and forth between them. And then she eventually baits it and it chases her through the canyon back to Stephen Ewan's little theme park. Yep, where she is able to essentially kill it by getting it to swallow this giant plastic balloon inflatable steven yoon yeah she releases this giant thing into the sky baits the jellyfish (laughs) ufo creature into eating it and then it just it pops like a balloon which is amazing uh and she takes a picture of it through this well it's like a camera in a well that was a really cool (laughs) set piece yeah if you think about it and especially it coming back into play a couple uh-huh. times. But that was on the poster for one of Steven Yoon's earliest sitcom or like movies when he was younger. The poster was him and two other kids looking down a well. And it had to do with like it was kind of like a Western themed yeah. like kids Goonies kind of thing. And so you could recreate at his theme park, which is also his ranch, their neighbors to the Haywood Ranch. You could recreate this photo at that theme park to, you know, look exactly like that poster yeah, by looking into this well and taking a picture. The tension in the scene seems to be, it's unclear whether or not the rest of their film was destroyed in the UFO attack. So she's trying to get this definitive shot through the well camera. Uh, so they have at least something after everything that happened. Yeah, because it's really unsure whether the IMAX footage got destroyed and also the like handheld 8 or 16 millimeter got destroyed. Well, that, that one for sure did, because I'm assuming that when... Well, if you think about like the fact that it digests things and then spits out all of the, oh, the non-organic material, I feel like 
the camera could fall back to earth and still be preserved like the, the, f- the well maybe film. the camera but i feel like the celluloid film would the be film footage destroyed. well that that's protected by being encased inside of the camera yeah so that's true it, this is all speculation yeah it's all speculative uh but she gets the perfect shot right as the entity jumps on the balloon and so she has this the, what they call the oprah shot in this movie yeah, like the definitive image of this monster as proof, and then the alien just pops because it's trying to consume the <laughs> balloon. It tries to take it back in and transform back into the saucer, but it can't because it's a giant balloon, and then it pops. Yeah, which is great considering all the stuff we saw from Stephen Ewan's childhood at the Gordy's home incident, because it's the popping balloons that set off the mm-hmm. chimp as it goes berserk and starts rampaging. Oh, that's true. I didn't even think about that. There are so many things in this film, looking back, because I saw it a second time. Lots of parallels. Yeah, parallels. It, Rhyme, as rhyming. George Lucas said, it, it's like poetry, it rhymes. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. The groundwork in this film is incredible, and I got to see it a second time, and everything builds beautifully to this crescendo Yeah. Uh, at the end of the film. And then it ends kind of right there. There's no real falling action. The last thing we see is... Yeah, Kiki looks back through this sign on Stephen Yoon's ranch that says, Out Yonder. Yeah, and it's just a picture of (laughs) Daniel Klee on a horse, like a badass, like Like a cowboy. Iconic, again, an iconic uh, little shot there. Like, played to Michael Abel's, one of his more, uh, like, heroic Western tracks on the score. Yeah. And then it just cuts to black, and it's title card, and that's it. That's the movie. That's Nope. That's Nope. That's Nope. That's NOPE, which works both as uh, an acronym for Not of Planet Earth and uh, as something they say (laughs) throughout the movie, because when you're confronted with the supernatural, something horrific, what can you say but NOPE and then get the GTFO out of there? Not going to do that. Wait, so Not of Planet Earth, where did that come from? That was just some of the speculation many months ago when the title was announced, and it was they they were like playing with in marketing the idea of the UFO, because it was pretty clear from the get-go that it was... They could have put a decimal point at the end of every letter, almost. Uh, You could. You don't always have to do that with acronyms, but... No, I know, but... But but it was never confirmed that that's what it was. Right, right, right. Even though I'm sure Jordan Peele knew what he was doing. Right. And all of his film's titles have, like, you know, short, punchy titles like that, so... Yep. And they probably will continue to. That is a gross... Yep. Condensation of the plot of this film. Thank yep. you for staying and listening to me ramble on for 10 minutes about hopefully what was an entertaining story to listen to. It's try, much try 20 minutes. Much better when you watch <laughs> it. It's really hard to sell just how much of a spectacle this movie is. Yeah, so again, we should say every one of Jordan Peele's films have like a point or a theme or like a message that he's trying to like something he's trying to convey. Yeah. And so the internet has just been buzzing with people trying to guess what the themes are here and surmise what Jordan Peele might be trying to say with this movie. 
Gabe and I are trying to figure it out as well. And yeah, we've come up with a few ideas. Yeah. And this may not be the definitive ideas. This is our the kind of the conclusion we've come to, like Stephen said. So if there's more we're missing or if we're misrepresenting something, yeah, we're just here to start the conversation. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. So the first thing that I should say I loved about it, and it could also become overlooked very quickly, was as a filmmaker, Gabe being a filmmaker as well. Thank you. <laughs> I even hate saying that word. As as people who <laughs> work I, in film, <laughs> I have actually worked in film with celluloid film. You've touched the film stock. I've touched. I have film right here on my desk. Oh my god! I'm touching it right now, listener. Stephen's playing you with can film hear stock. It. That's pretty great. That's film. That's film. Is it 16 millimeter? That's the sound it makes. No, this is 70 millimeter. That's what I was gonna say next. <laughs> so 16? I mean 70. <laughs> You're also skipping 35. No, but as you know, a person who has worked with film, shot on film, talking actual film, not just like shooting digital. There's an element of this movie that feels so familiar to me, being somebody that has actually gone out shooting on film, watching uh, the director of photography on the chem machine, scrubbing through film, going reel to reel, looking through film, looking at footage, all that stuff. Him going out using the hand crank, no battery, because another element, I don't even think we said this, that the alien shuts down anything electrical as it gets closer to you. Yeah. So you can't use any kind of machine or battery or anything because it just shuts it down. So that's why they're using celluloid film is to like ensure that they can get footage of it even if it gets close to them. And so that element of like old school Hollywood style filmmaking is just so awesome. It always is the thing that I think about most when I think about the film industry and the reasons that getting into it and going to the theater when I was younger and hearing the projector project and that clicking of the reels and stuff. I, it's just so, there's such a, a visceral emotion that ties me back. And so that all plays into this movie as just one of the many, many elements that make up this film this movie and I loved it for that reason Mm -hmm. and then the fact that it has to do with aliens and the way that it was shot apart from a lot of the the more horror elements that I feel like Jordan Peele kind of brought into this movie the rest of it plays like a Spielberg film you know it being an alien film and being a very small group of protagonists a family it felt and looked And often even the score, the way the music played, it was so orchestral and non-electronic that sounded like a John Williams score. Um, It just sounded and looked and played so much like a Spielberg film to me. So that had two marks in its favor that just made me love it. And then, of course, like the way that the story is told, the intricacy and the nuance between the characters interacting with each other, the way that it was written and the way that it was directed. I know that I I say that a lot, but I think there's something to be said about like the translation from page to screen and how the actors are being directed. The way that they deliver a line may come off as, as kind of like a mumble or something in passing that you wouldn't even really catch if you're reading the page because during reading, you often take in information different from when you hear it. So the way that it was portrayed, knowing that Jordan Peele wrote the script as well is just uh, awe-inspiring to me, Mm -hmm. like what he's able to do. I I really think 
I, I don't know. He feels kind of like, I know people said this about J.J. Abrams, and I never fully agreed, but he feels a lot closer to Spielberg to me than than J.J. Abrams ever did. Yeah. But with like this this tinge of horror, you know? Yeah. And then, and then, of course, like we get to like the themes and the like interlacing, overlapping themes that are kind of toyed with and played with throughout. And, and as I was just saying, Hollywood plays into that. This idea of culture uh, today needing to capture everything uh, like, hey, we need to get all this recorded. And no matter what it's doing to us on a personal or mental health or or soul level like none of that matters we just want to become famous or want to get rich or want to exploit or want to be known for something i guess um Mm -hmm. those themes were there and there's also like the very like face value interpretation which is like animal cruelty and uh predators and prey and the exploitation of that one of the more interesting themes of, of like to me that I was kind of surmising, and this also comes from me reading some stuff online and we were talking about it and you probably have even more to say after this, but this will be my final point. But, but one of the more interesting themes to me was the desensitization as a culture to uh, like horror or beastly images or exploitation of horrific things uh, including trauma and like past trauma and just the the fact that we accept a lot of trauma and kind of horrific things in our past as like commonplace and then trying to often use those things and if we're drawing the parallel here i'd see it like a lot of times with younger gen z type or maybe millennial type on social media trying to exploit their bodies or exploit the things that make them unique uh, as individuals to try to become famous or try to make money off of. And that is like the thing I keep falling on when it comes to thinking about this movie. <laughs> yeah. What are your thoughts about well, some of the themes? Well, maybe I didn't say a couple. No, you, you pretty much covered everything. Oh, really? I mean, from, I feel like there's on a, a very things. topical level. Yeah. yeah. You kind of just, you skimmed across everything I possibly could have said. Okay. So, so now nothing I say is going to sound original. <laughs> Thank you. I feel no. like, no, there's a couple things that even I was, as I was reading, like I didn't say anything about OJ. Well, I want to jump back real quick to what you started with, which is that before you even start to pick apart the metaphor and really dig into this film, this movie is so freaking good. Like, yes, like that's so good. Relentlessly entertaining. I think about what uh, that one character from Westworld said in season one or two, where he's like, it's a, um, (laughs) it's a relentless fucking experience. And it is so well made too. Jordan Peele got um, Hoyt. He got Hoyt uh, Van, Van Hoytema. Yeah, it's the guy who's been working with Chris Nolan, I think, since Interstellar. And that level of quality in the imagery and the cinematography really shows here. They shot this whole thing in this gorgeous canyon in central California, or at least that was the setting. I don't know where they actually shot it, but everything about this screams spectacle. And that's pretty important moving forward into the themes like Stephen was starting to talk about. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to say that e- like even without getting deeper into this movie, it is so good that I would recommend it to everybody. Yeah, just the way the story unfolds and the way the characters interact with each other and their motives throughout the film and the way that the events play out, it's just entertaining. Like it's just straight up an entertaining, good movie, you know? Yeah, it's so well crafted in that way. And I think Jordan Peele, this being his third film, his third feature, 
I think has really nailed hit. I think he's nailed both his own style and he's nailed like, totally. uh, like making movies, like especially from a blockbuster yeah. perspective, because Get Out and Us, Us a little bit less so because it tried to bite off a lot more mythology than it could chew towards the end. Totally. In a grander scale. But both those movies were pretty small, pretty tight. And this really blew the doors open on, I think, what Jordan Peele can do as a filmmaker. And I can't wait to see what he does next. But yeah, but yeah, digging into it a little bit deeper is where I think his stories start to become very more, uh, very much more rewarding. And there is so much to pull out here. Steven skimmed a lot. You could take it so many different ways. For me, there are two main things. The first of which, which I think is the more superficial, not to say that it's any any less meaningful, but like the the quicker thing to take away from it, like Steven said, is like the treatment of animals. In this film, between Gordy, as Steven Ewan's backstory shows, and then representing that in the uh, the alien, the entity, which is the UFO, which turns into the crazy cosmic jellyfish. It's so crazy. I'd never expected to see the opening shot of my alien movie with like a bloodied up chimpanzee on a, on like a film set. Yeah. Like that alone is so fucking interesting. Yeah. Anyway. And, it, and just a quick throwback again to what you said earlier with the genius of the marketing. And I feel like I'd be, I'd be so curious to get inside the mind of Jordan Peele to learn the way he approaches filmmaking because there is so much misdirection here, both in the film itself and in the marketing that I wonder, but it's never like disingenuous and it never feels bad. Like so much other media does these days where it feels like it's just subverting your expectations for the hell of it. Right. Like we're trying to be shocking. This feels very earned and it feels genius. Like you said, not to, you know, say Jordan Peele's the greatest filmmaker working alive because that's the meme going around right now, but, <laughs> but it really is inspired. And for instance, yeah, all we see the whole Gordy thing, for the plot, it doesn't really matter. It's all about the meaning of the scene. Right. And then all the misdirection with like little green men, like like humanoid aliens walking amongst us. All that is just there. And then and then we get into, like I said, the first level of takeaway for me here was like the treatment of animals, the alien being a wild animal. And that is represented so like wonderfully throughout the movie. I, it's something you don't think about a lot, I think, in your day-to-day life. Not just wild animals too, but I think nature as a whole. And someone I, who can explain things much better than I, I think he called it something like the bastardization of one's subject. And so when wild animals and creatures and nature are made to be a spectacle like this, it, it's often, it's not, it's very dangerous and it's also just not very good for either party. And that is shown with uh, Gordy at the beginning of the film, how they're, they're putting a, a wild animal in human clothes and they're trying to get it to sing and dance and be a part of the sitcom and then it just snaps and it goes berserk and who's to blame there but you know the people that put him in the clothes and then Daniel Kaluuya's character OJ as like a foil to Stephen Ewan's character Jupe and the way they approach the wild animal there like Stephen Ewan's trying to tame and control the beast and Daniel Kaluuya he acknowledges you can't do that with a wild animal you have to live in accordance with it and like learn from it and you have this like unspoken tenuous agreement with it just to cohabitate. So it's a really fascinating discussion on that level. But extrapolating that a bit further, I think you get to the real meat and potatoes here of what Jordan Peele was potentially trying to do, which is just in a general sense, like the consumption of entertainment, like as mm-hmm. a whole. You were, you talked about that too a little bit, but like uh, the way, 
like an audience, the modern audience in every medium, like interacts with entertainment and the way we consume entertainment and how it, there's this, this vicious cycle and both are informed by the other. And oftentimes it's, when you look at it, it's this kind of sick and perverted, perverted nature of entertainment of where we're constantly hunting like the sensation, right? In this film, it's, they call it the impossible shot or the Oprah shot, and they're chasing this thing until it kills them. So many of these people are, and they're consumed by that chase and that, that hunt for... And it could, it could technically mean different things for different people, whether or not it's this like, personal satisfaction or it's like, like you said, that hunt for recognition or something. And it consumes everybody, too. The way that technology and media is so integrated in our everyday lives... The word I keep coming back to is spectacle. Uh, you see that represented in different characters throughout the film, like Antlers Holst, the cinematographer. He even like uh, talks about it pretty directly in the way, the way he says to Kiki Palmer. He's like, that dream you have where you're like trying to get up the mountain, like chasing this thing, that's the dream you never wake up from. And then he is, ironically, the character at the end of the film oh who my. goes up the mountain. Dude, that's a good call. I didn't even think about that. To chase that shot after what he had, had like said to Kiki Palmer an hour prior, which was a, which was again coded in in, in cryptic in riddles speak. Yeah, yeah. Antler's ant speaks in such a difficult to understand way, but it makes sense. But it's fascinating that he was the character who went up there and like Died. caused all the shit to hit the fan at, at the end there. So even when you're aware of this dynamic, you're still like prey to it which I think was a fascinating yeah. point. And then uh, also like the character that pops up, the biker in the last scene when they're trying to wrangle the alien. Uh, and he's just like, his character is so fascinating. I was trying to get a better read on it watching it a second time, but it's like, he is... He's just there to get the shot to make the money. Yeah, he, he was like a sociopath. He was yeah. so consumed with getting the shot and having his camera at all times rolling. He rode right into the mouth of the beast, essentially. I really liked that they kept him faceless. Yeah, but yeah, trying to hone this thing <laughs> back in. The the idea of entertainment as spectacle and as this kind of sick and perverted thing that we are so taken by and intertwined with, and it's not entirely original, obviously. So many amazing filmmakers and storytellers have approached this. We see a lot of stuff like this in like Black Mirror, right? The nature of our relationship with technology and with media is a common topic in science fiction and just across, you know, different genres and different mediums, television, film. But Jordan Peele approached it in a pretty fascinating way because of, like, what the alien represented and the alien as that spectacle and how it it is this beast. You know, it is this, quite literally, it's an animal that comes to consume us as part of that dynamic that relationship so i don't know if any of what i just said in the last few minutes makes any sense but i it is something i'm still like deconstructing and trying to chew on i'm probably going to try to see it a, a third or fourth time even to really get a better sense of what the intent was but i've seen a lot of people break it down and that seems to be the general consensus that at a deeper level it's it's about the way we consume entertainment and how it it's pretty fucked up it's pretty fucked up. Yeah. But I don't know. Does that does any of that resonate with you, Steven? 
Yeah, no, totally. I mean, but we're just like live. We're living in it. Consumption of media. It's the thing that it's the question of like our day and age since the invention of like the iPhone or what some people call infinity in your pocket. The power of the sun in the palm of your hand. Exactly. And so how much to consume, you know, how much to put yourself out there. Those are all questions that people have been asking themselves since the invention of the social meds, you know, social media and creating personas for yourself online, all that shit, you know, and, and, and the consumption of media and, and, and I think it even goes a step further than, than just entertainment. I think it's also, there's something within humanity like Cain killing Abel. It's like the thing that's been happening forever for all times, even back into as far back as you can go in history, it's people or beasts or or people acting as beasts, conquering other people Mm -hmm. and trying to like consume others. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you could take that even as far as like to say people consuming animals. Yeah. It's for, for like benefit of health or whatever. It's always at someone else's or something's expense. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And the expense is the thing. And I've been thinking about this a lot just as a person who uh, I'm all about justice and social justice. Whenever someone wins, someone loses. You can't win. Nobody can win something without there being a loser as well. If you're not first, you're last. That's why I loved... Stephen Ewan's character in this film. And I wish, if I had like any criticism at all for this movie, mm-hmm. uh, it would be that I wish we had a little bit more of him because mm-hmm. he seemed like pretty representative, pretty integral to that idea. Mm-hmm. And why I think the Gordy flashbacks are so important is because of what the show was doing with the chimp and then the way that impacted Stephen Ewan's character. Because the way he internalized that event was that he thought he, his relationship with the monster and then perhaps to a larger extent like his place in the world you know was that he could be a part of that system in a way that like it seemed like wholesome like he he really believed he could bridge that divide and to bring what you were saying into it like that he could do it in a way that like didn't harm anyone you know yeah. that, that it was at no one's expense except for the horses that he was using right but animals it, it, the way the movie shows it, he he's completely misread the situation. He didn't have this connection with Gordy, just like he didn't have a connection with the alien, and that it ends up just being like yeah. a bad miracle, as they say in the yeah. movie. But I, I think he thought that he had a connection with that chimpanzee. Yeah, he thought he thought and, wrong. <laughs> and and his, but I, I mean, imagine his whole life, him thinking that he had this connection, and that maybe he didn't the chimp didn't need to be murdered you know and yeah. and trying to work through that trauma from his childhood but ultimately yeah i mean i the themes are never ending like we're even getting here at the end of the podcast and i'm thinking we could talk about this for another hour like we could have a whole sequel podcast talking about the nuances of the performance talking about the music and how amazing we thought that was the designs all, all the little things that like honestly we're just kind of skimming over right now even going further into the themes because there's so much more to talk about. But yeah, all in all, like Gabe was just saying, Get Out was like something I could see Jordan Peele's genius in, but it wasn't perfect to me. I liked it, but I didn't love it. Us, 
I feel like was a much more perfect film as far as like from a technical standpoint, the proficiency of filmmaking, but I didn't like the story as much. This movie to me is perfect. It's a win, win, win on all accounts. Story's great. The proficiency of filmmaking is top notch and it, it just, it hits at all the right levels. And, uh, I think it's, you know, it's his best movie. Again, that's my favorite of his, but also, I, I mean, just thinking back at the three films he's made so far, this is uh, this is a, a huge win, a huge win, and I can't wait to see what he does next as yeah. well. And I think at the end of the year, I think this will definitely be in my top 10 favorite films of uh, 2022. It, it'll probably be like... Pretty closer in my top five, honestly. Yeah, it's for sure in my top five already. Yeah. <laughs> We're only like in July, but it was pretty exceptional. I, I, I'm a big fan of his other work. I think there are, there's always some lingering things that, you know, if I could pick one thing about Nope that I didn't like, it was the, the breaking up of the segments, like with the title cards, totally superfluous and unnecessary. Like I would have loved to see it if it were just without those, like, you know? Yeah. I didn't mind it. It was, it just felt like a, a little bit, a little bit like unnecessary to me to put the title cards in there and break it up that way, you know? Yeah. It, it didn't really matter, but I didn't mind it. It was fun to see like, cause each horse was like its own section. And then the middle one was Gordy itself, the reveal. Right. I thought it was cool, but it was, yeah, it was cool. It just, yeah. Like you said, it didn't really matter. I do want to shout out Michael Abels and his amazing composition for this film. He's worked with Jordan Peele in every movie. And watching his stuff again over the weekend, it was like the music in Jordan Peele's films are so, so important to help creating the atmosphere, the tonal environment. So he kills it like with three different styles of of music in this movie. He has like the Western, the mm-hmm. Hollywood, the classic Hollywood Western, uh, the fanfare. Then he has the Spielbergian stuff and then he has the scary stuff, some of the some of the sound design, which it sounds like Johan Johansson stuff from like Arrival. Very cool. Right. Very cool. Very good. Big recommend to everybody listening. <laughs> See it in IMAX because both the picture and the sound are so important to this movie. Yeah, and it was like Gabe said earlier, there are specific sequences that were actually shot, I think, on film for IMAX. So yeah. go check it out on IMAX. Yeah, Jordan Peele's kind of becoming another champion of IMAX, which is really fun. Because yeah. So how many does so how many we got? We got Tarantino, we got Nolan, we got Jordan Peele. There's <laughs> a lot, but Alright. Go check it out. Check a look. This has been another episode of the TCP. This is Gabe. This is Steven. <laughs> <laughs> Signing off for the last charge. That was interesting, that sound device slowing down songs mm-hmm. in particular. Yeah, genius. We, di- we didn't even mention, I think, at all on this entire podcast, the fact that, like looking at the beast is what makes it come for you. And that's so important. I'll just put it as a button on the end here, that looking at it was part of the relationship between the people and the beast. Looking away, signaling like the virtue of averting your eyes from the right. spectacle. Right. So genius. And also great as a cinematic tool. Because it helps, again, the Spielbergian thing of not showing too much of your monster until the end. 